listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Patchwork Med for Libraries Adventures in Parenting podcast. I'm Erin. And I'm Jessie. And today we are so excited to be talking with Anna Udina, Senior Director of Marketing Initiatives at the Toy Association. For the past eight years, Anna has been spearheading the Toy Association's Genius of Play initiative to raise awareness of play as a crucial part of child development and encourage families to make time for play in their daily lives. Joining Anna today is PML's very own family place librarian, Miss Mary, who in addition to being quite famous with our littlest patrons, also happens to be an early childhood specialist. Welcome, ladies. We're so happy to have you with us today. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So excited just to be here. I'm glad to be here too. Since its launch in 2015, the Genius of Play has reached millions of parents, caregivers, and educators, providing research-based facts and expert advice and a host of play activities through its website, social media, and various live events. And Miss Mary has been working at the Patchwork Medford Library for the past 18 years, and she's been spreading the joy of early literacy through play. She's truly a force for good, working hard each day to make sure that every child feels seen and heard and that every parent feels empowered. I can't wait to learn all of the ways that play can influence a child's life and future. Before we get going, though, I do want to just let our listeners know that we are recording this today's episode on Zoom, which is new for us. So just wanted to put that disclaimer out there for everyone. So let's get started because in doing a little bit of research for this episode, even though I work in the children's department, I have children, I really never thought of play in the way that Genius of Play organization presents it. I'm so excited to hear about all of the things I'm not doing that I should be doing <laughs> with my kids. <laughs> so Anna, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about the Genius of Play thing and then we'll we'll start from there. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, I feel the same. Before I started with the Genius of Play, I never realized just how powerful and important play was. We tend to think about it as fun and building memories, and that is all true, but there is so much more than that. So let's go back to 2015 when we started the Genius of Play. You know, well, first of all, we are a nonprofit initiative. It's all about bringing more play to kids' lives, helping families play more, providing free resources, play ideas, coloring activities, worksheets that are fun, games that kids can do, so all that. But before we developed all those resources, we had to do our research. So that is where we started back in 2015, believe it or not, going through hundreds and hundreds of pages of research studies in child development and learning, really neurology as well, trying to understand what is this connection between play and learning. So based on all that research that we did and also tons of conversations with experts, play basically benefits kids in six key areas. Some of them are more obvious, like physical, right? I don't think anybody will disagree that play is extremely important for kids' bodies. And as they develop their fine motor, their gross motor balance coordination and all of that. But in addition to that, cognitive skills from literacy to mathematics to executive functioning skills, kids learn so much through play. And then it gets even more interesting, social and emotional. I hope we get to talk about the emotional component a little bit, super important that emotional well-being in addition to our physical and cognitive and play has some fascinating benefits for kids in that area. And then finally, creativity and communication. And creativity especially is so important. So I can't stress it enough. There was a study done by IBM Institute and what they did, they talked to all those CEOs and executives of large corporations and they were curious, 
people, what are the most important skills that you want your employees to have? Is it AI? Is that computer coding science? What is it? And the majority of the answers stress creativity. Creativity is the most important quality that employers are looking in their future employees because wow. the specific technical areas can change. And, you know, there is a reason why they say the majority of the jobs that will exist 30, 40, 50 years from now, we don't know what they are today. They haven't been invented yet. So play and creativity is super important. So those are the six key areas, physical, cognitive, social, emotional, creativity, communication. And then, of course, there is so much once you sort of like dive into each of those areas. It's funny because you don't often think creativity really could be troubleshooting. It could mm -hmm. be the way you approach stress, the way you approach a problem. Like there are right. so many things. Mm -hmm. I think people tend to think of creativity as just the arts and crafts. And yes. But yeah, it has such a wide variety of ways that you can interpret what creativity is and how to use it. Mm -hmm. That's right. I can speak for myself and say I never would have put those two things together. It seems like when you're creative as an adult and you can adjust and you can adapt, that stuff is mm -hmm. the first skills you learn as an adult. But it's not. You're learning that as a child if you're given the proper opportunities to do that, which is fascinating and also more pressure. Yeah, and we try and should take this pressure off parents with the genius of play. Play is first and foremost about fun and we don't want parents to think, oh, this is like one more to do on my list. No, the genius of play.org, the website that we have, it's all about thought starters, play ideas, trying to make things easy for parents. So for instance, when you come to our play ideas tab on the website, we have literally hundreds of them, but they're organized. So we even organize them by prep types. So if you only have five minutes or you don't have any time at all and you're looking for something quick to do with your kids, we definitely understand there are a lot of situations like that. And we have activities that are specifically for that. And we also have a whole database of activity pages that you can just print and you can just give it to your child. You know, you need to keep them occupied for a little bit on their own or with minimal supervision. There are definitely things like that. But for occasions, when you too have a little bit more time, we have activities that are games that require a little bit more of a setup. There are also tons of fun that you can shoot with one child or you can shoot them with multiple kids. You can shoot them with kids of multiple ages. The whole idea is trying to make it a little bit easier for parents and playtime should not be daunting. So this is like, you know, if you land on our website, hopefully that definitely comes across and all the resources are designed to make it easy. The resources on your website are amazing. I was poking around again this morning and for a parent like me where play doesn't come naturally, um, I have kind of turned that part of my brain off. That website is just a lifesaver. For parents out there listening or grandparents listening, if you find yourself and you're like, oh, I don't know, really know what to do with this kid right now. And your instinct is to kind of just put the TV on or something like that. Like just check out this website. It really gives you so many opportunities. Or you could come to the library and have out with Miss Mary. So Miss Mary, what are your thoughts on all this and how how has the library seen these kinds of skills grow in children? I think, you know, I hear it a lot with parents in the programs that I do. They are concerned that they're going to look silly, <laughs> that they're going to feel the pressure of doing the right thing. And I always just try to encourage the parents at the beginning of every program, whether it's an infant program or a toddler program, this age group is unpredictable. They have a 
short attention span. So we try to pack as much as we can into a short time frame, but that everything is welcome, whether they're crying, whether they're wiggling, they're paying more attention than you think. And I've had some great stories of parents telling me about certain things like that over the years, one comes to mind where in the program itself, the child was not paying much attention, was kind of distracted walking around the room. But then the parent told me the next time she saw me that on the way home, she saw her infant doing the itsy bitsy spider fingers in the car seat. Um, So, you know, it was like a young toddler, I should say. So she's like, wow, she really was paying attention, even if it didn't look like she was paying attention. So I remind parents of that. I said they pay attention in different ways and they pick up on things differently. And their minds at that age are sponges and they just absorb everything. Yesterday I had a program and a child was fascinated at the fact that when you pressed a button, water came out of the water fountain. Everything is interesting to them at that age. Everything is new and an opportunity to explore. That child didn't know until he pressed the button that water would come out of that. It's really reminding yourself that it doesn't have to be as complicated as you think. I think that's what parents tend to do is you overcomplicate things in your mind because you just want to get it right. You know, you feel like, oh, I'm going to waste this opportunity or I'm not going to be able to engage my child enough. I'm not going to be able to hold their attention enough. But I'm really fascinated about the emotional aspect of Mm -hmm. play. So I was wondering if maybe you could touch on that a little bit, Anna. Yeah, definitely. This is like one of my favorite benefits of play emotionals because it's not really like a natural connection unlike with physical and social and even some of the cognitive stuff. But let's start with really young kids. Mary mentioned toddlers. Once they get just a little bit older, preschoolers, they start pretend playing all the time. There's like all this imaginary play happening. A banana becomes a phone, a stick becomes a horse, every object becomes something else. So you're like, what does it all have to do with emotional skills? Well, if you look at how kids play and what are they actually doing with those objects, they are creating scenarios. They are telling stories. They are playing something. It's not just a banana or a horse or a doll or an action figure. They all have role and the child is telling a story. What they're doing is they are processing and playing a lot of the things that they experience in real life. And in the process, they experience all sorts of emotions. They can be happy emotions like excitement and they're smiling, they're laughing, or they can be something like a frustration or or an anger. Maybe something happened on the playground, you know, a child jumped the line in front of them for the swing, or they wanted to play with their toy and they didn't ask very nicely and they got frustrated as a result. All of those little things that happen they need to be processed by those little hearts, little brains. The emotions are being developed, this emotional awareness and self-regulation as a result. And basically what is self-regulation? Well, it's the art of dealing with one's own emotions. So whatever it is that you're experiencing, even if it's a negative, big emotions like anger, frustration, you are able to cope with that in a healthy way. So you kind of like get over it, right? As adults, we sometimes say, okay, you know, that didn't work out, but hey, just get back on track and stay positive. Well, we learn how to do that. Our emotional systems learn how to do that when we are little children. And it's fascinating to me that this imaginary 
pretend play is exactly the mechanism for, for how it happens. So by giving your child an opportunity to have plenty of imaginary play, pretend play, where they utilize all the objects around the house, they utilize their toys, you know, play sets, those are all great for inspiring those types of play. But by giving your kids the time and the, the materials, the space to do that, you are actually encouraging emotional processing and that emotional development. This reminds me of Bluey. Are you familiar with Bluey, Anna? Yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> that, that whole show is just those kids playing. And there are certain episodes where, I mean, they're dogs, but yeah. there's episodes where they are processing their emotions through play. And it's when you watch it, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes so much sense. But in your day to day life, it just might not occur to you that that's exactly. what's happening. So those are very little kids, right? So now kids of all ages get emotional benefits from play. So what I should talk to a little bit about the five key components of emotional intelligence, right? So emotional intelligence is one of my favorite concepts in psychology. It, it was born in 1990s. Uh, psychologist Daniel Goldman, he introduced the five key components of emotional intelligence. And they are basically emotional self-awareness, knowing what our emotions are, self-regulation, which is the ability to cope, and then motivation, empathy, and social skills. So those are sort of like the five pillars of that. And play actually helps kids develop each of the five components of emotional intelligence. So one of the resources on our website is Emotional Wellness Playbook. We know that emotional well-being is extremely important for today's kids. Unfortunately, there have been a lot of alarming statistics about mental health and emotional distress among teens, but also even among younger kids, which is very concerning in and of itself. So the genius of play, when one should be part of a solution and we have all those experts we have all those play ideas so we partnered with with a therapist and mental health expert Talia Filipelli uh, she's based in Hoboken New Jersey she's got her own practice and she works with families and kids in all of those areas and issues so she helped us put together this amazing resource of different play activities and games everything is play-based but specifically to help kids practice those emotional intelligence skills, practice motivation and goal setting with activities like vision board, for instance, practice self-regulation with activities like DIY calming bottle, practice emotional awareness with activities like emoji bingo. So there is a lot in this book that parents of kids of different ages can find useful, specifically if you're looking to build those five key components of emotional intelligence. Those are super important. You know, we talked about creativity and career success. Well, another important study found that emotional intelligence, EP, is actually a better predictor of career success than IQ. IQ is what you know, you know, your technical 
skills, your knowledge, your intelligence, but EQ, emotional intelligence, is equally, if not more important, because let's face it, you are working with people and emotions come into play and being able to deal with your own emotions as well as recognizing and dealing with emotions of other people is going to be critical no matter what career you have, unless it's something like totally isolated, but I think all careers, the majority of them anywhere, are so interconnected and teamwork and collaboration are in any profession that emotional intelligence just is very key. As these kids are kind of aging out of the pretend play, what if your parents of older kids, tweens and teens? The learning through play never stops, I should say. So definitely does not stop with like preschool or even elementary schools. Even in the emotional wellness playbook, we were careful to select activities that they could benefit older kids. And one that, that I specifically love is called vision board. And I actually think it's a great activity for adults. You know, I should play that more. And it's all about building motivation and self-confidence and goal setting. And goal setting is so important for adults, not just for kids. But again, this is a great opportunity to teach your tween or teen about setting goals. And it can be fun. So when you're playing vision board, it could be like, what's your vision for the upcoming summer? Or, well, what's your vision for the next family vacation that we're going to take? Or how do you see yourself five years from now? And basically, it's an activity where they, they select the theme and they go out and they find, you know, on the internet and magazines, you know, whatever materials you give them, they find different images and words and phrases that illustrate their vision. And then they put it together as a collage and they create this vision board. So there is definitely the creative component. It's very hands-on. They get to choose the right images, the right phrases, words that represent their vision. They put it all together and then you can just discuss it. It's a great springboard for having a discussion with your tween or teen. And just imagine how much you can learn about them in the process, as opposed to maybe like sitting down at a table, sort of like in a serious way and like, okay, so like, where do you see yourself five years from now? What's your vision for the first year in college or your future profession, right? It's like, it's a little off-putting when somebody sits you down and tries to have a serious conversation with you like that. It's all this pressure. It's a great activity, I think, to frame it in a very playful way and bring your tween or teen along and maybe you create your own vision board and share it with them and that becomes a great conversation starter yeah I want to touch on what you were just saying about pressure again, because this is always what's on my mind. I always feel the pressure. The research that your organization has done just based on um, diving into play and how important it is. The report found that play is down 25% for six to eight-year-olds. I mean, that study was, I think, 1981 to 1997. But some of the reasons is like crowded, overstructured school schedules or competitive parenting cultures and all of these factors. And I feel like what you said about pressure is so true. And I think we see this here in the library sometimes like it's okay to just let your kid do it 
their way. So if you decide you want to do the vision board, like you obviously have like your expectation, like, but like maybe they don't want to do it that way. In the report, it states kids would do much better if parents got out of their way a little bit. I guess, where is that line? Is it still a benefit if you do the vision board, but you make them do it the way you want them to do it? Like, where is that line? Yeah, totally. That's a great question. And really, it's, you know, unstructured versus structured a little bit, right? So we're getting into that. So there are a lot of structured activities that kids are engaged into, team sports, all kinds of extracurricular activities. Those are usually structured. They are adult leads. I would say, you know, if you're an average kid these days, you're probably already getting your share of highly structured activities. So for when you are at home with your parents, I would argue, and this is what the research supports, that try to make it unstructured and child-led. Mm-hmm. Let them lead. It's not like you can never suggest what you play, absolutely, but listen to your child and make sure that they tell you how they want to play. And then you kind of like come along for the ride because you want to balance structured and unstructured. I often get this question, well, which one is more beneficial? You know, and, and sometimes some people are like, oh, unstructured is always the best. And then there are some educators like, no, guided play. Guided play has the best educational outcome. And we have research to support that. And guess what? Both sides are correct and they have research to support them. The the thing is that what kids learn is different in unstructured versus structured. So for unstructured, again, it's awesome for creativity because yeah, if you let your kid chew the vision board their way, you may be amazed with what they can come up with. They may take you to a totally different frontier with that. You know, it's a lot of times you, you give them the cardboard and, you know, some materials to play with and it's amazing what they can create if you just let them chew it their way. So definitely, definitely let them chew their way for creativity sort of like to take off in addition to creativity it's also kind of like building that self-direction which is really important and I think definitely educators and you know child development experts are seeing this problem with kids that because there is so much structured activity in school you know and, and after school when kids are left alone they don't really know what it is that they want to do, right? If you just tell an average kid, go play, sometimes they're like, what? Uh-huh. <laughs> what exactly? You're not going to tell me how? Yeah. <laughs> That's because a lot of things are so structured. So self-direction is really important because guess what? Once you graduate from college and even when you're in college, it's kind of up to you to find your way in life. Right. Nobody's going to tell you like every step of the way you got to do this or you got to do that. And then also... We know that people who are successful, usually they are successful because they find their passion. I feel so passionate about the genius of play. It does not all feel like a job. It's something that I enjoy doing, developing those resources for parents, bringing more play to people's lives. I'm so lucky, but I think everybody has the potential to find a job that's the best for them. What I'm trying to say really is that unstructured play is really important for your kids to explore and discover what it is that they like to do, what is their passion, what are their interests, whether it's computer science or drama 
uh, or language arts or helping people or whatever it is. Really unstructured play is a great opportunity to help them discover that you can steer them towards certain things, you know, and toys are a great idea to introduce your kids to all those different roles and fields. You know, there are STEAM toys, which uh, cover science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. There are all sorts of play sets that have to do with different professions and different things that kids could be doing in their lives. So those are all very helpful, but don't be prescriptive. Let them kind of like decide for themselves what it is that, that interests them. This is the true benefit of unstructured play, helping them find that direction, build motivation and self-confidence and their creativity, of course. Mary, I'm sure you see that here. Do you want to talk about how the library can support unstructured play and how does all of this play out here in the library? So that happens a lot. And that's actually one of the reasons why in my craft programs, I almost don't like to make a sample because at that age, especially the early childhood age, I really want it to be open-ended. I want it to be what they're thinking in the moment, what they want to do in the moment with the supplies and materials they have. I do make some samples because I know parents ask for it. But what I always say when I hold up my sample is, please don't think it has to look like this. This is what Miss Mary came up with, but you can do something completely different. If it's something that has a face, the eyes don't have to go where I put the eyes. The mouth doesn't have to go where I put the mouth. So like, that's how I kind of explain to parents, let them pick how they want to do it on their own. And then what I usually do is during craft time, I walk around the room and I compliment every single child on how unique their craft is. I love how different everybody's looks, just so that the parents keep hearing that message again and again, that it doesn't have to look like the sample, that it doesn't have to be structured, that really open-ended is so much more beneficial for their brain development, for their creativity development. So just kind of like helping them along with what they want to do, but not being like, no, it doesn't look like the sample. It doesn't look like Miss Mary's. They're missing the experience of it, of just the being in the moment, like you said, and creating, like you could make it look like this, or you could make it look like anything. But that's more on the parents. Like, I think that's something that we really have to kind of work to change this perception of my child doesn't do it exactly like this, then, you know, my child is not hitting the mark, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Some of my favorite art that my kids have made has been like these crafts that are supposed to look one way. Like we put up a turkey every year at Thanksgiving and one is like a huge Google eye. And then the other one is like this teeny tiny little eye and it looks (laughs) bizarre and insane. And I love it so much. Like, because if my kid's turkey looks like every other kid's turkey, how do I know? You know, it doesn't tell me anything about my kid. And not to say I'm perfect at all, because there are many times that I'm like, no, it's like this. Or like, we have to read the instructions and do it just right. So like, I get that urge. But I also just in talking to you both, like you have to kind of see the bigger picture. Like, yeah, it's just a craft. But in the long run, you're helping to foster all of these really important skills. Absolutely. And just really guiding them along the way and reminding the parents, especially in these types of programs, that it's okay for them to let their child take the lead on craft projects or any kind of game that they're playing. Have fun with it. Just enjoy your time together. Help them along if they ask for help. But if 
they are intent and content with what they're doing and it's not harming anyone, let them do it. Let them explore different textures with play, with art, with, you know, I have a program called Toddlers Explore and it is notoriously a messy one. Um, Better here than at people's homes. And that's what I always say. (laughs) Don't you love coming here to make a mess where you don't have to clean it up? Exactly right. (laughs) We have a table for shredded paper that becomes a snowstorm. We have a table for moon sand where children can use different shapes and make different things out of the moon sand. We have a shaving cream table where we just spray shaving cream onto a table and just have them feel it. And some children are diving right in and some are like, I'm not going near that table. Mm -hmm. And that's all fine. And I encourage the parents, especially in that program, because I think at home they want to keep a little bit less of a mess and a little more control in that aspect. I said, for here, let them explore. This is literally their time to explore different textures, different things, different every different experiences. And it's okay that they're making a mess. It's okay. They're learning and they're playing and they're realizing that they're also being trusted to play on their own. And I encourage the parents to play with them. You know, throw throw the paper with them. Throw it up in the air. Don't be afraid to get a little messy. Get your hand in the finger paint. Get your hand in the shaving cream. Ugh, no I know. That one's not for me. <laughs> I know. And it's funny because there are some parents over the years who, who have been like, oh, this isn't the program for me. And yeah. I said, it might not be the program for you, but your children might love it. And I get right on the floor with everybody and play along. So I think modeling that is important too sure. in the programs. Yeah, it makes it less intimidating as a parent when you're in in the midst of all the chaos, like, oh, I can do that. That doesn't look so scary. I'm curious, Anna, how the experience of going through COVID affected any of Genius of Play's work or focus, because I know that my daughter played differently before COVID than she does now with her friends. Yeah, definitely. So we super busy during COVID because everybody was staying at home and entertainment options were limited. So All of a sudden, parents were actually actively looking for things that they could do with the kids, not only online, but also, I mean, they were utilizing online to find the resources, but also to disconnect from online and choose something together as a family. So we put together resources like at home learning, for instance, what you could do with your kids to encourage that that learning at home. We put together our play and learn activities because a lot of kids were missing out on school or they were doing all this virtual online learning and it works for some kids but not for others for little kids it's very very hard to make virtual learning successful so parents needed to step in and encourage more sort of like play at home that that has a big learning component. So our play and learn ideas were born as a result of COVID. Our at-home learning resources were born as a result of COVID. A lot of expert advice we found that during COVID, parents were asking questions, well, how do I talk to my kids about difficult subjects, right? Like the pandemic, like everything associated with that. So we tapped into our expert network to answer those questions. So a lot 
of articles in our expert advice, there are still difficult topics, there are still difficult conversations, and we still have all that advice in our expert advice column that was created during COVID days. So definitely, I would say for us, during COVID, we saw just like huge demand from parents for all kinds of resources. And yes, of course, we did like virtual play ideas and how can you keep in touch with your grandparents and what games you can play with your grandparents because a lot of kids they were with their parents but they were missing out on interactions with all those other family members grandparents aunts and uncles uh other kids so definitely a lot more isolation and uh we were doing our best basically we were very very busy during the pandemic providing all those resources and in terms of how it impacted the genius of life i think it made us stronger in many ways because we realized and a lot of parents realized how play was so important to stress reduction and kind of like maintaining their sanity so a lot of parents yeah right Uh (laughs) (laughs) a a lot of parents in our in our research you know we did like a survey during the pandemic and post-pandemic they I think over like 86 percent of parents said that playing with their child and like being able to spend more time engaging in those playful experiences was the silver lining. That's exactly how a lot of them said it was the silver lining of the pandemic. So with all the negativity, all the challenges that we had, there was a little bit of this good old play that re-emerged as a result of people having a little bit more time. So I would say, you know, right now we're trying to sustain this momentum, you know, the pandemic kind of like brought play back into the spotlight and highlighted the benefits of play for for many parents. Definitely stress reduction, bonding, creating all those positive emotions with their kids, spending time together, engaging through play. So we try to keep that momentum going. So I noticed um, I'm really interested in this, the state of play research paper you guys have on your website. Obviously, I keep bringing it up, but I know it's from 2017. And in the report, it says that even in 2017, outdoor play was decreasing probably the most out of everything. So I'm wondering, have you and the Genius of Play, have your, your organization seen maybe an increase in outdoor play? Like I know during the pandemic, we did so much outside because that was those were the only places you could go and feel safe. Have you noticed has that stayed? Have people continued with that? And then also, what is is there a difference of the benefit of playing outside as opposed to playing in the house? Yeah, there are definitely, definitely huge benefits to playing outside, even like spending time in nature, they call it nature RX, that just contributes so much to improving our mood and creating this feeling of calm and relaxation. So, you know, also outside just the physical benefits of playing outside, the freedom of being outside, you get to engage with all the different objects on the playground or in your backyard or in the park. You get to play with other kids. So um, some of it can be recreated inside, but there are definitely challenges. And during the pandemic, we saw an increase in kids spending time outside. And that was definitely one of the positive of the pandemic. In terms of where things are now, so we haven't done a comprehensive state of play report, but there have been other organizations that have been coming out with statistics. And unfortunately, it kind of looks like 
things that sort of going back to where they were. So for instance, I saw a stat uh, during the summer from one of the media companies that during the summer, kids' screen time actually goes up, not down. So what does it tell us? That instead of spending more time outside, well, school is out, right? So kids have more time. But instead of spending time outside, a lot of the kids spend more time streaming and playing video games. So that's what the data tells us from this year. So we, we are trying at the Genius of Play, again, we like to be part of the solution. So um, what we did, we created the summer playbook for families and parents. And that is all about activities that you can do outside, that you can do in the park, in nature, there's scavenger hunts, there are nature mirror, there is wiggly womb farm. So I know you don't like to dive into the shave cream. What about diving into mud and playing with no, the worms? No, right? thank you. Not for everybody. Yeah. Not for <laughs> kids, kids love it. Yep. And some parents, um, some parents love it as well, but yeah, definitely the kids. So, so we have those activities as alternatives, I should say, to, again, just like turning on the TV or playing a video game, doing some sort of a screen-based activity. So definitely, we definitely have the resources to inspire those activities for kids to spend more time outside and not just you know, not just spend time outside, but also learn something in the process. So, you know, the genius of play, we always try to balance the genius and the play side of that, right? So like all of play is beneficial, but we always try to inject that learning component into every activity that we suggest. So, you know, if you're doing something in the park, maybe you're learning about different plants and different leaves and, you know, you're doing the wiggly worm farm, they get to learn about recycling hands-on in a very visual practical way so um yeah that's kind of like the state of play right now so definitely screens and all of those screen-based activities they continue to take up a lot of kids time but i think with a little bit of awareness of how important it is to balance that with non-screen-based activities with the time spent playing time spent outside i think parents are moving towards that balance. And I think parents realize, the majority of parents realize that kids are spending probably a little bit too much time on screens. And there was a surgeon general warning earlier this year, specifically about teens, so about older kids and, you know, all the screen time and potentially negative consequences that it can have for mental health specifically. So there's definitely a lot of organizations, a lot of people sounding the alarm. I think parents are aware. I think a lot of parents are struggling with screen time, especially for older kids. It gets more and more difficult as they get older and kind of like more more vocal. (laughs) But uh, what I want to say is balance is key and it is going to be different for every family, but balance is key. And also the earlier you start sort of like building those healthy habits and modeling healthy behaviors, 
the easier it will be, uh, like with everything, you know, right. like with healthy eating, with physical movement, the earlier you start your kids on this sort of like balanced diet, that's what they grow up with. And that's what they see you model as a parent, the lesser your struggles will be down the road, you know, because they will understand and they will have alternatives to screens. They, they will remember those playful moments. They will remember the family game night and a lot of them will continue that issue adulthood. We in the toy industry we are seeing a very interesting trend which is called kiddos and I always love to bring it up because what it is basically is kids when they grow up to be teens, young adults and even older a higher and higher percentage of them do not stop playing and specifically playing with toys. So I'm sure you saw adult coloring books, Lego sets that are obviously meant for adults, a lot of collectibles, a lot of dress-up costumes for adults, and not just for Halloween. So it had kind of like grown beyond that. So all of that shows that there is definitely adults are embracing the importance of play. And we saw this trend start even before the pandemic, but it looks like the pandemic accelerated that trend. So, so there's definitely, there are definitely some positive, some great developments for play, including this increased interest in play among adults and teens. Yeah, our school district actually has like a family connect night of the week yes. where they don't give the kids any homework. It's just, they want you to go home and connect with your family. And I love that they do it because I don't know that I ever would have really been able to keep to a schedule. Like you always Mm -hmm. say to yourself, we're going to set aside time every week to do this, or we're going to make sure that we do this like at some point during the week. And then the week just gets away from you and you don't get to it. But setting aside that time to like connect as a family has been such a gift because it's always a constant reminder. Like they send you text messages and emails and remind like family connect night, family (laughs) connect night. And they tell the kids. So the kids are the ones that are like tonight's family connect night like it was literally just last night we did family connect night yeah and you you look forward to it and it's built into the family's calendar and Mm -hmm. it's amazing and now we know that we can go to the genius of play website geniusofplay.org and get some really great ideas this website is just an incredible incredible resource 100 percent, i love it and also if you're listening to this and you're like okay i get it i get it i gotta you know the kids have to play more unstructured play if you're working full-time if you're really stressed out let us help you we can walk you through the genius of play website and we can find you some activities to take home let the library and miss mary and the staff in the children's department help you find a way to incorporate this into your life that works for you because that's what we're here for that was one thing we discovered during COVID, having so many things delivered <laughs> yes <laughs> we, re- we rediscovered our love of boxes and creative <laughs> things to do with boxes box party is such a great example of an accidental program too. I have another program called Block Party and one of the boxes that contained the blocks for that program was accidentally left out in the cor- in the corner of the room. Stop, and I didn't know that. The children were playing with that box more than they were playing with the blocks. And I was like, <laughs> oh okay, maybe it's time for Box Party to be born. So many great imaginative play opportunities with boxes. Chances are you're getting a box in the mail at some point this week. Just save them up a little bit and bring them out to play with your children with. But I agree with Jesse 100%. If you're feeling overwhelmed, 
by the idea of having to have one more thing on your plate, come here. We have an amazing early childhood area filled with toys. There's a play kitchen. There's a rainbow toy on the wall with 10 different interactive objects for the children to play with. There are blocks. There are puzzles. There's a dollhouse. I mean... And there's nothing better than other people's toys. 100%. Um, Every child just loves toys that are not theirs we have a toy room i don't think they play with half of the things in there they will go to another kid's house and play with the exact same toy there that they own so it's just something about the uniqueness of it not being theirs that really right. lights them also the opportunity too for that social aspect because our play area is pretty frequented and chances are there is another child there for them to play with maybe someone new maybe someone they've seen before but there's that interaction that you wouldn't get at home with your sibling who you see all the time you come to the library and you play with different children and have different experiences in that That's area a great the segue the great segue into steam and i know that there's a lot of steam resources and things like that on the genius of plays website so I don't know if Anna, if you want to touch on some of that stuff. Wait, no, Anna, don't touch on that stuff because it's going to be like a cliffhanger because we're going to be oh, doing. Oh, that's the next time Anna joins us. Yes, Anna is going to be coming back for our November episode <laughs> to be Oops. talking to help us through gift buying for the holiday season with an emphasis on Steam toys. So if you heard Aaron say that and you got really excited, tune back in because <laughs> she's going to come. We're going to do a whole episode on that. So we're excited to have Anna back for that one, and we will be having our Steam librarian Elizabeth. Elizabeth Ramos is with us for that. So sorry, Aaron. Just... I do have one thing that I like to remind parents of too. I think it's so important to remember that the simpler the toy, the more complex the play. And the more complex the toy, the simpler the play. So what I mean by that is that if a toy is very open-ended and doesn't have buttons and beep and make noise and all of that stuff, it gives the child more opportunity to explore what they can do with that toy versus a toy where you press a button, something happens, and it's over. And there's only one way to really play with it. So I'm not saying there's not room or space for those toys, but I think especially with younger children, the simpler, the better, because that's allowing their imagination to take shape versus something where, again, you just press something and it's over. It does the playing for you. Right. Yeah. Anna, do you have anything that you want to kind of tie this all up with? One thing you really need parents to understand about play? I agree with you guys. It's all about children and how they want to play and their imaginations. So toys are the tools of play. Make sure that they have the tools, but they need to inspire imagination first and foremost. And the last thing that I wanted to say is there has been interesting research about the connection between the variety of toys, right? Like different types of toys help develop different types of skills. So all of those six, obviously, but also different angles, different components. Some toys are going to be more about creativity. Others are going to be more about cognitive, social, emotional. So not necessarily the more, the better, but the more diverse they are, the better. So I would say that definitely try to 
expose your child to different types of toys. And also, I would say, you know, don't be afraid. Like, boys, they like to play with dolls. Uh, and girls love to play with construction toys and, you know, bricks and Legos and whatnot. So the gender, the gender sort of like distinction between toys is definitely coming down. It is changing. So don't be afraid for your child to play with a toy that, you know, was not maybe traditionally associated with their gender. Because again, it exposes them to something new and you never know how that can spark your child's imagination, creativity, empathy, understanding of others, where others are coming from. That is all also important. And I agree with the times are changing with regard to what's quote unquote acceptable for a boy to play with. So I think just play, playing with anything and not separating boy color, girl color, boy toy, girl toy. Everything is open to being explored. Right. Agreed. To learn more about Anna and her amazing work with the genius of play, please, if we haven't promoted that enough, please take a minute to check out the geniusofplay.org. They're on Facebook and Instagram as Genius of Play. They've got a YouTube channel. It's TI Association. And again, they've got expert advice, toy guides, play ideas, games, endless amounts of resources, anything you could ever want. It's on there. And Miss Mary, as always, can be found right here <laughs> at the Patrick Medford Library, providing the very best and children's programming um, oh, and if you, you want to get to know more about miss mary and all the incredible work that she does for our library and our community stop by the children's department i encourage everyone to keep talking keep singing keep playing with your children and you'll watch that trusted relationship grow beautifully nice. said yes and before we really, truly wrap up, I just want to give a shout out to my cousin, Jen, who works at the Toy Association, who introduced me to Anna. And so, Jen, if you're listening, thank you so much, because this has been fantastic. And I'm so excited that now we can share this resource with our community. And for those of you listening, if you enjoyed the podcast today or any of our previous episodes, please tell your family and friends to have a listen. And also tell us. We want to know what you think, too. Email us at podcast at pmlib.org. Um, there's also a form on the website that you can fill out and tell us what you think. We would love to hear from you. Anna and Mary, thank you so much for today. I feel like I say this every episode, but I could legitimately keep talking about this forever. But I know you guys have lives, so we'll let you go for now. But thank you. This was fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This is definitely a passion of mine, and I'm glad I was able to share a lot of it today. Us nice. too. Thank you so much, ladies. Thanks, ladies. Thank you. Thank you.